We are so glad you joined us for this week's message from Radiance in Macomb, Mississippi. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Thank you guys for having me today. Uh, so since we're all strangers in this room, I'll introduce myself a little bit. Uh, my name is Lee Watson, and uh, I brought two of my sons with me today. Uh, we have a family of five, and uh, three of them that we adopted through the foster care system of Mississippi. And I'll get to that in just a minute. But we are uh, itinerating U.S. missionaries, and what that means is, is that uh, for most missionaries that are on the field, whether foreign or domestic, uh, we're raising our support uh, in order to fund what we are doing. And so Jody, a guy that I have been uh, really good friends with for most of my life, uh, we both have been pretty much raised together in the church. Um, he got me in contact with here, so it's good to be here. Uh, I've actually was pastoring for about 15 years before I became a missionary. And uh, so my wife and I, God began to call us into the foster care ministry uh, and specifically to foster families. And I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, kind of give you a background of how we actually got here. Uh, of course, I've been born and raised in Mississippi uh, my whole life. Uh, we actually come out of Terry, Mississippi, which is about 45 minutes just down the highway. And uh, born and raised there. Uh, but... Um, my two biologicals, when they were born, uh, they uh, had major complications, and uh, I'm not going to get into great details about it all, uh, but whenever my wife gave birth to our second son, uh, her doctor told us that it would probably be in our best interest not to have any more children. And uh, kind of make a long story short, uh, after the long trial that we had with our second uh, oldest son, uh, and after God healed him and touched him, uh, we decided to take a long-needed vacation. And uh, whether your relationship with God is strong or you're just getting into understanding what it means to have a relationship with the Lord, anytime you get comfortable, God loves to get you out of your box. And we were perfectly content with two children. Uh, we actually never had plans on having a large family. We were perfectly happy with two kids. Uh, we were just thankful that they were healthy, they were strong, and that God touched their lives when they were born, and we were perfectly happy with that. And we went on vacation, and uh, by the time we came back home from the vacation, God told us that we needed to adopt. And so we went to uh, every adoption uh, agency in the state of Mississippi, and because we had two kids, guess what happened? They closed the doors right in our face. And so a fellow missionary friend of ours led us into the foster care uh, system of Mississippi and said, you know, this is a good way to adopt. Uh, not only is it free, but uh, there's plenty of children uh, out there that need adopting. And so we just said, you know what, God, you lead us and direct us to the right child or children, whatever it is that you have for us. And uh, we actually have been in the system, uh, foster care system, for about nine years. And about the six-year mark, uh, we finally got a phone call for children that had the possibility of adoption. And it was a sibling group. Uh, there wasn't one, there wasn't two, but there was three. Uh, two girls and one boy 
They were all brothers and sisters. Uh, the judge refused to split them apart, which we're very thankful for that. And we were very excited about this moment because you got to remember, this was six years in the making. This is something that we have been waiting on, that God had given us a vision for it, and knowing that this is what God wanted us to do. We didn't expect three, but like I said, we just said, whatever you want, God. And so when we got the phone call, they said it was an emergency situation. They need to be placed in another home within about a 24-hour period. And uh, we said, well, we'll be ready. And if uh, we're, our home is ready, prepared, uh, so bring them on. And we were excited. Uh, but needless to say, uh, if for any of you in this place that might be a Hallmark fan, a uh, movie fan, I don't know if y'all are or not, I know about this time of the year my TV gets taken away because my wife takes it up from here on until about the first of the year because of Hallmark movies. And, um, and, and you know, honestly, I can't stand them, I'll just be honest with you, because they always have a perfect ending every single time. And so, you know, I'll be, my wife, of course, wants me to watch the TV, you know, these movies with her. So I'll sit there and I'll tell her the whole time, this is going to have a bad ending. You just wait. It's finally going to have a bad ending. And it never does, but I at least hope one day it will. Um, but in this case, whenever the kids came to our home, we had two social workers on the other side of our door and three children. And honestly, whenever we opened the door, we expected a Hallmark movie ending. You know, where the kids just come running in and hugging you and kissing you, saying thank you for taking us in when no one else would. And let me just tell you this, it was farthest from the truth. It, it, was, it was complete opposite of what we, our brains, were telling us was going to happen. Because we had a little girl, she's our oldest daughter, we actually officially, the adoption was official in January of 2018 took us four years uh, to get there, but um, Mackenzie, she was only four at that time, and she had been through more situations and issues in her life than most of us in this room will ever face in a lifetime. In fact, uh, we were their uh, fourth foster home within a year period, and her abuse did not necessarily happen in her biological home. Her biological home, the issues there, why she was pulled out, while all three of them were pulled out, was, of course, drug-related, which is about 80% of the time in the state of Mississippi why a child is removed from a home. Because along with drugs comes neglect. Because whenever a uh, person is on a drug bench, all they care is about that next drug or that next fix. So they don't care about the people around them at that time. And so they had drug and neglect issues, which is a common thing in the foster care system of Mississippi. And her issue was is that her abuse actually happened within the foster home. Three of the foster homes that she was faced in, she actually experienced sexual abuse, physical abuse, and of course neglect. And one of the stories that we learned about her that we're still learning over time just through history is that um, on a summer day, kind of in July, uh, they pushed her out in the backyard, locked the door where she stayed out there for a complete 24 hours through the night. A neighbor is the one that ended up reporting it because all he could hear is this little girl screaming to the top of her lungs, beating in the back door. So I want you to think about this for a moment. Now here you have a little girl. She's been abused in every possible way. And we are her now fifth foster home 
in a year period, and she's four years old. She had to grow up really fast. She had to learn to feed herself, all that good stuff. And she is full of anger and resentment and bitterness. And when she came into our home, she, we finally pushed the red button because she was going to release everything on us. And for the next six months to a year, all we could do is just hold on and pray and say, God, I don't know why you did this, but there's a reason behind it. About a week into it, whenever we had the children, now the other two, they were, one was two, uh, two years old, the other one was eight months old, and, you know, they were okay. There was nothing wrong with them uh, for the most part, except for your adjustment phases that you deal with. But for Mackenzie, whenever we go into her room and pray for her, we try to pray with our children every night. Sometimes that looks like a really nice picture other times, it's, Lord, it's more of a prayer for us. Lord, please let them sleep through the night so we can get rest, you know. Um, but we try to go into their room and pray with them every night before they go to bed. And for Mackenzie, when we first started doing this, every time we would pray, she'd actually scream in our face, I don't want your Jesus. And this is why, because the issue behind her is anytime she's ever heard the word love, love was always associated with pain. Because if, I, if someone told her, I love you, or Jesus loves you, she thinks, yeah, every time I've heard the word love, there's always pain that's involved in it in return. I'll get back uh, to the ending of that story here in just a minute. But in the state of Mississippi, there is around 5,000 children in the foster care system at any given time. In fact, there's about... Uh, 8,500 children that come in and out of the foster care system every single year, which is just crazy. And this is why it's crazy. It's because we only have about 2,200 foster homes available for these children. So the issues that happen is when these children cannot go into a good foster home, then they are placed with what we call kinship care. And in kinship care, um, those, those, uh, those family members are not typically under the same type of training and things that you have to go through like a regular foster home is. So a lot of times the children, when they're pulled out of their biological home and they're placed in kinship care, they actually are going right back into the same circumstances that they were pulled out of to begin with. In fact, it's estimated in the state of Mississippi that 40,000 children are in kinship care of some sort across the state of Mississippi because we do not have enough foster homes to be able to go around. So they have to go somewhere. So they either go there, the second place they go to, and the pastor has already kind of touched on this, and it's why Jody Dice does what he does, because 80% of the kids that he deals with are actually foster children in, in uh, human trafficking. In fact, in 2016, in the state of Mississippi, around 400 children disappeared out of the foster care system, and we estimate that most of those children went into human trafficking of some sort. So there is this issue. And the problem is, is what has caused this problem? Why is this problem so bad? And I'm going to be honest with you in this place, and I hope I can be. And this is the reason. is because the church has waited too long for the government to do something. Do we not understand that by now <laughs> that the government cannot take care or can't do it well taking care of humanitarian crisis or issues? They weren't ever created to do that. 
In fact, the word of God tells us is that the church was to do all those kind of things. In fact, we know one of the main passages of scriptures is James 1.27. Y'all should be uh, fairly familiar with it if you... If you're into the word of God and understanding different things of that nature. But James 1.27 goes like this. That the greatest form of religion, or actually some versions say that the only acceptable religion is one that takes care of orphans and widows in their distress. We love that passage of scripture. I mean, that's everything that what we're about. That's everything that the church should be about. And I talk about it a lot. I preach about it a lot. However, can I tell you something uh, this morning that um, we skip over a very important passage of Scripture before we ever get to James 1.27, and that's Galatians 6.2. Galatians 6.2 tells us like this. It says that, that we are to take care, or we are to uh, actually to um, take each other's burdens, carry each other's burdens, and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. Now, if y'all don't understand what the law of Christ is, the law of Christ was very two simple rules that Jesus brought when he taught on this earth, and that was to love God and to love people. And whenever we truly love God, then therefore we're going to help people that are in need. But before we can ever do James 1.27, the church has to be ready to carry the burden of what James 1.27 actually brings. Am I making sense this morning? I hope I am. And so that's why as missionaries, this is what our primary focus on. We first focus on recruiting foster families within or foster homes within the church. Because we realize that if we can get godly influences in children's lives, then they will have a better outcome of life than one that actually is fostered from a secular home. The second thing that we focus on, and one of our most important things, is we actually teach the church how to wrap around foster families. We're all about the foster child, don't get me wrong. We love that foster child. But I also understand that statistics tell me that a child above the age of two in the United States will move four times every year in foster care. And we have to eliminate that because that child has no sense of stability in their life. If a child is moved from foster care to foster care, that means that every time they're moved, they have to adjust into a new school. They have to find new friends. If they're moving a county over, then they lose any type of family that they have. And they lose all sense of stability. So we have to eliminate that issue with a child being moved from home to home to home. About every three months, and a child in foster care is moved to another home. And this is why. Because they don't know how to deal with McKinsey's. They don't know how to deal with children who come in abused and neglect and full of anger and bitterness and issues. So what we do as missionaries, we come into the church and we use a system called Complicare. And Complicare is a, a ministry designed to teach you how to wrap around foster families, to support them and to encourage them and to help them in their needs so that they can do everything that they need to do with that foster child and be that encouragement for that child. In our period when we first brought our children in, we... Um, we, we didn't know what we were doing. We had no clue on how to take care of a child with that type of emotional baggage. And my parents and her parents came along our side, and they wrap around us. 
and they supported us, they encouraged us, they helped us along the way. Because I could tell you back then, uh, my phone was a flip phone. You know, before iPhones became a big thing or, or smartphones, whatever you want to call them, I had a flip phone. You know, that's back in the day when Razor phones, if y'all remember Razor phones were big and bad. And, and, and I had one of those things, and one was always speed dial, if y'all remember that. And one for me was my social worker. And every morning and every night that I'd get out of bed or go to bed, I'd look at that one button and I would go, you know, I could end this right now. I would not have to deal with this emotional headache that we were experiencing at that time with our daughter. And I can call someone and she can be, and everything could go back to normal, back to my two boys. And I could be perfectly fine with it. And there were days that I would wake up threatening myself to do it. The only thing that would stop me is God, you know, God from pushing that button. And I'm thankful today that I didn't. And part of the reason is because God brought people along our side to encourage us and to help us and to keep us going, even in those days that you didn't get any sleep. One story I'll share with you is one, uh, one night, about 1 a.m., both me and my wife heard a noise in the kitchen. And so not sure what's going on. We run into the kitchen to see if someone's there or, you know, or something of that nature. And, you know, in the state of Mississippi, there's, a, there's about a gun in every corner in the house, you know. So, you, so you're threatening to say, okay, we, there must be a, someone in the house that doesn't need to be here. And what we found out is actually it was my oldest daughter. And because she was not used to having a steady meal every day, she was in the kitchen, destroying the kitchen, trying to make her something to eat. Because she was hungry at that moment, and then she wasn't sure if she was going to get breakfast the next morning. And we're talking about there's milk all over the floor. There's eggs everywhere. You name it, she tried it. She didn't know what she was doing. And there'll be nights where you're just exhausted because you couldn't sleep comfortably. One of the best dates I ever had with my wife was during the period of time where, where we were doing this adjustment phase with Mackenzie. My mom actually showed up out of the blue. She gave me the keys to her car, and she said, I don't care what you do for the next two hours, but leave. I've got the kids. Me and my wife couldn't think of anything else to do, but for two hours, we drove around the block, just drove. We didn't say a word. We didn't talk. We didn't say anything. We turned the air on. We turned the radio on. And we just cruise, if that's what it's okay to call that. And we just, but it was the best two years, uh, or two hours of our time, <laughs> two hours of our time, because we needed it at that moment. And that's what we do through Compicare. The third thing we do is we also teach the church how to reach into the current foster care system. People that are not connected to the church, that we want to see connected to the church. And we give the, the church the tools and needs on how to actually touch those, those families that are in your surrounding area. We believe it. We know that this is something that needs to happen. Because what we're no noticing now is that if we as the church do not step up and do something about it, we don't have to worry about it because the culture of our society will take care of it. And that culture may not look like what we want it to look like because God will not be an option in it, if that makes sense. So one of the things that I'm actually, and I'm actually going to close here in just a minute, but one of the things 
that the stories out of the Word of God that really spoke something into my heart was Exodus chapter 17. And I'm just going to reference to it. And for those that may not know a lot about the Old Testament, this is where we have the building of uh, the Israel uh, nation that's coming up. And Exodus chapter 17 is a very young Israel nation. They haven't ever fought before in battle. In fact, Joshua was the commander. He had no idea what he was doing. And the Amalekites, which at that time were very, um, they were probably outside of Egypt, the number one nation at that time. And the Amalekites knew that Israel was in the area and they were ready to fight to eliminate this nation before they became too powerful to handle. And so Joshua saw this war coming, and, and he goes to Moses. He says, Moses, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know um, that we can win this war. And so Moses looks at Joshua, and he says, we have God on our side. But for y'all to make sure that y'all know that God is on my side, I'm going to go up on this hilltop. And I'm going to raise my hands up in the air. And as I'm raising my hands up in the air, y'all just look at me because I'm letting y'all know God is for us and not against us. And so sure enough, he goes up on top of the hill, he raises his hands, and Israel is actually conquering and, and winning the war. But then, of course, what happens? That this war was so long that the Bible tells us is that God caused the sun and moon to stand still. This is how long this war was waging on. And so Moses, of course, got tired. And his arms fell. And the moment that his arms fell, Israel lost confidence in themselves. And all of a sudden, Amalekites were now officially winning the war. So two men by the name of Aaron and Hur saw this happening. And they rush up on top of the hill. They take a big rock. They put it up underneath Moses for him to sit on. And then they raise his hands up in the air for the remainder of the battle. And guess what happens? Israel wins. But I'm a firm believer in this, that we would never have the nation of Israel today if it wasn't for two men that were ready to carry the burden of a man that was saying that God is for us, not against us. Even after the war had been completely won, Moses goes back up on that hilltop and he calls it, the Lord is our banner. And he says, the Lord is my banner because of the fact that they raised up Moses' hands and the burden, they brought it before the Lord and that burden at the moment was given to the Israelites. God had taken that burden and said, we're going to win this war. And what we need in foster care are people who are willing to come alongside foster families to say, we're going to carry your burdens. We're going to lift your hands when no one else can. We're going to be there to encourage you when no one else will. Let's fast forward two years later. Mackenzie was four whenever we had these issues with her. She's uh, two years later. We had never seen her cry. She's six now. Never have seen her cry. She had a really bad day. And for those that, if you understand sexual abuse and physical abuse and things of that nature, you know that there's constant flashbacks all the time. And so this particular day, she was having numerous flashbacks. And when those flashbacks happen, then that's when the anger and the bitterness kind of builds up. And she just has that really bad day. And so we were putting all the kids to bed. And we went back to McKenzie. And like I've told you, up to this point, every single night, she'd look at us and say, I don't want your Jesus. 
But the, for the first time, we saw this little girl cry. She had big old gator tears coming down her eyes. Never seen her cry. We didn't even know she had tear ducts. And as we were praying, she interrupted us and she said, I want your Jesus. And the reason why that is, is because we had people alongside of us to support us and to encourage us so that we could love her and show her what love looked like. Because finally, it finally connected with her that this is what real love is. And she trusted us enough and she trusted Jesus enough to know that we were not going to hurt her. But it was only because we had people beside us that helped us get to that point so that we stay steadfast. Now I can tell you now, now she's eight years old. She loves life. She loves God. And she understands what it means to be loved. And it all started whenever my family decided to wrap around us. This morning, what I'm going to encourage you to do first is a couple of things. I love to challenge people. If we're not challenging, then we're not growing. We're always pushing ourselves. You might not see it now, but I used to play soccer pretty regularly when I was a teenager. I was fit. I, I got kids. I got fat. I don't know what to tell you, but it just what happened. And, uh, well, let me rephrase it. I got married and then got fat because my wife, I guess, cooks too good. But I used to play soccer, and the, our coach was always pushing us, pushing us. So we might go out into the field and have to run a few laps. And, you know, we may have run five laps the last practice, and then we come back to the next practice, and we're going to run ten laps. Well, then we might come to the next practice, and he's going to push us and make us run 15 laps. And then we'll come to the next practice, and he'll make us run 20 laps. And what he was doing, he was building up our endurance. But every time he'd push us, our sides would start cramping. I don't know if y'all have ever experienced that, where you're running or something going on, and your sides just cramping. How he explained it to us is that that's some adrenaline that's getting stored up. And if you run it out, you'll have enough energy to be able to get through the rest of whatever it is that you're doing. And sure enough, that, that cramping would stop. You'd feel a little bit rejuvenated while you're running. And, and then you could get through the final five laps that he kept on adding on us every time we would run. But it was building us. It was challenging us. And so that's why I'm going to leave you with a challenge this morning of a couple of things. If you have never thought about foster care, think about it. Pray about it. Ask God if that's something that he wants you to do. Is it easy? No. But if you ever want to be a superhero in life, it's a great way to start. The second thing is, is that maybe that's not for you. That's okay. Not everybody's called to foster, but everybody can do something. And that's why we have our second challenge, is that maybe fostering is not for you. Maybe fostering is not for anybody in this place, but you can do something, and that is to adopt a foster family. And what I mean by adopting a foster family is finding a foster family that the church can support and love and encourage so that they can continue on the calling that God has placed upon them to take in foster kids. The other thing is, is and, I, and I don't want to cut the spirit in this place by any center of the word, but if you would consider also maybe partnering, 
Because you might not be able to do foster care. You may not be able to do uh, wraparound families. But you might can help us achieve the goals that we have for the future. And seeing that through the church, we can completely change the foster care system of what it looks like today. And if you challenge, uh, we could challenge you to give. In fact, uh, when you leave this today, we have pamphlets that look just like this when you walk out. There's two things that we challenge you with on this. It's first of all, would you just be prayer partners with us? We need prayer. We need a lot of it. We're going into an area that honestly in America is fairly unreached. There's plenty of ministries out there for the foster kid. There's not many ministries out there directed to the foster family. We're just being led by God. Uh, a year ago, I was perfectly happy as a pastor that I was pastoring for 15 years. And then God began to put us on this road and this journey. So first of all, we need you to pray. So take one just so while you're praying to the Lord uh, in your personal prayer time with God, hey, just take the little bit of time and just say, God, take care of this family, help this family. And also inside this is a way that you can partner with us financially if that's something that God leads you to do. Uh, you can do it online, you can do it through the mail. All the directions are in here on how to do Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Radiance in McComb, Mississippi. If you have made a decision to follow Jesus, would like to connect with a pastor, or would like to support the ministry of Radiance, you can easily do so on our website at radiancemacomb.com. We hope you have a blessed week.